You're listening to the Tri-State Community Church Podcast, a ministry of the Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church located in the greater Pittsburgh metropolitan area. For more information, including service times, please visit us at facebook.com forward slash Tri-State Reformed Church. Genesis 16, verse 1. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your servant is in your power to do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I'm fleeing from my mistress Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also told her, or also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, behold, You are pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his his hand against everyone, and everyone's hand against him. And he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are a God of seeing. For she said, Truly, here I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore the well was called Be'er Lahairoi. It lies between Kadesh and Barad. And Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram called the name of his son whom Hagar bore Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. Heavenly Father, we look to you this morning, Father, that you would be pleased to bless us as you teach and instruct us from your word. Give us understanding, Father, and application, and Father, work in our hearts that, Father, we might might be changed by by your word, O Father. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Instead of funny feeling, I forgot to turn the tape on, so sorry for that. Um, When we're studying our Bibles... One of the questions when we're studying a passage like this and we're wondering, okay, what in the world do we do with this? And what, what does, how, how do we apply this uh, to ourselves, this what seems to be a really strange thing that takes place between um, Abram and Hagar? Uh, what, are we, what in the world do we do with that? Well, one thing that really helps us when we're studying a passage like this is to try to look and see where God is in it. Uh, more specifically, to try to see how is God revealing himself in this passage? 
what things do we learn about God in this passage? Uh, in what way is God acting in this passage? Uh, and uh, that will often help us uh, and steer us in the right direction as to why the Holy Spirit would have led Moses to record this story for us, uh, for our edification. Now, with that in mind, with an eye of looking to how God is revealing himself here, uh, let's, let's look at this verse by verse. The, uh, and the first thing I think that we should look at here is that really a long time has passed. Uh, when we're uh, studying Scripture, sometimes we need to be aware that sometimes just between sentences, a long period of time goes by. And, you know, if we're out fishing when we get to that place for a minute, uh, we can miss that, that a lot of time has gone by. Uh, and 10 years actually has passed uh, since uh, Abram and Sarai left their homeland. You'll recall from chapter 12, verse 4, that Abram leaves Haran when he was 75 years old. Okay? Uh, 10 years have passed by. Uh, and they've been waiting for a son, the promise of a son. Uh, that promise comes to a 75-year-old. Ten years pass by. Uh, now that promise is coming to an 85-year-old. Um, and we also learn from Genesis 17 and verse 17 that Sarah is 10 years younger than Abram. So while when they left Haran, Sarah is 65 years old. I'm not saying that because I think 65 is old. Okay, I'm not saying that. <laughs> I don't want anybody to get upset. But I don't think um, that's the ripe age for starting a family now, is it? No, no, no. <laughs> well, well <laughs> if 65 is no good, well, how about 75? Because uh, Sarah is now approximately, at the time of verse 2 here, she's approximately 75 years old. Uh, we're going to have to hold on to these facts here. Uh, as we go through this narrative, we need to hold on to these facts. It's really important. Think about the difficulty in this, of waiting all this time for this promise to have taken place. When is the sun going to come? And when we're called to undergo a trial like this, the longer we wait, the more prone we are to yield to the temptation of taking matters into our own hands. Aren't we? Um, and that's exactly what we see Sarai proposing. Verse 1 tells us that she had a, a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. In verse 2, we have Sarai's proposal. She says to Abram, Behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant, and it may be that I shall obtain children by her. Now, a few things we could point out about this proposal. Is, first of all, is Sarai's conviction of the sovereignty of God in this matter. She's not had a child, and she attributes the fact that she has not had a child to the fact that God has prevented her from having a child. Uh, that, 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 is, that is 100% correct. Um, we do well to embrace this. None of us are accidents. The Lord has an active role in uh, the creation of each one of us. Uh, now, as I've said, it's been 10 years. Now, Sarah has no children. So what's Sarah doing? It seems strange to us what she's doing. Well, she's looking to a custom that was practiced in the ancient world that was not all that unusual, actually. Uh, this was something that was done uh, in the particular culture that they're in. When a woman was barren, 
unable to have children, if she was a woman of means and had servants at her disposal, it was customary for her to take one of her servants and offer that servant to her husband so that the husband's name could be perpetuated. The servant would be married to the husband as a second wife. The servant would uh, bear a child for the husband, and then the mistress would raise the child as if the child were hers. That sounds really bizarre to us, doesn't it? Um, it sounds really, really bizarre to us. So this is Sarah's proposal. She's, she's been a long wait. Hasn't happened. Uh, maybe this is how the Lord intended it for happen. Maybe, maybe this is God's means. Well, how does Abram respond to this? The end of verse 2, he listens to the voice of Sarai. Now, I think already in verse 2, it's not hard for us to see a deficiency in Sarai's faith here. Uh, nor is it hard to see a deficiency in Abram's. For starters, the practice of offering a, a, a servant, a female servant, um, by the way of a mistress to her husband, uh, to be married as a second wife, uh, that may look fine in the eyes of the culture of the day, but is that fine in the eyes of the Lord? No. Genesis 2.24 reads, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. Wife is singular in that passage. And they shall become one flesh. It doesn't read, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wives, but hold fast to his wife. Polygamy, the practice of having uh, multiple wives is practiced pretty widely in the Old Testament, but it's not approved of. Uh, it's not approved of. The fact is, Abram and Sarah are taking things into their own hands. They're tired of waiting. And with all of this having been said, let's not lose, fact, lose sight of the fact that Sarah and Abram are very righteous people. Uh, it's easy for us to lose, to lose that fact in this and to be like, boy, look at Sarah and Abram. I mean, uh, look at them. Uh, you know, the... The point of Genesis 16 is not to slam Abram and Sarai. That, that, if, if I spend the next half hour slamming uh, Abram and Sarai, I'm missing the point of this whole thing. That's not the point of the passage. The Lord doesn't work that way. We have seen here that even uh, Abram and Sarai, we've seen their ups, we've seen their downs. Here we're seeing them really uh, kind of at their worst. Um, the point of this passage is not to slam them. I think the point of this passage is to see that even in the most godly of households, there's stuff that's less than admirable. Even in the most godly of households, there's stuff that's less than admirable. Now that should humble us, unless we start thinking a little too... Too good about ourselves, you know? Um, as we start swelling up a little bit, smile a little bit. And, <laughs> look at me. <laughs> uh, that should humble us. Yeah, look at me. Uh, we're, we're a mess. Uh, but secondly, it should serve as a warning to us. I mean, if Abram and Sarah are capable of this breach of faith, I mean, let's face it, we are too. 
Waiting is one of the hardest things I think we do. I wouldn't say it's the hardest thing we do, but we're not real good at waiting. We want it. We want it now. We want it quickly. We want everything to happen quickly. Maybe right here on a Sunday morning we can say, well, you know what? I can wait on the Lord. Yeah, I can wait on the Lord. This is the easiest time of the week, by the way, to wait on the Lord. What about tomorrow? <laughs> what about the next day? The further out you go, the, the greater the temptation is to say, all right, let's try this. Let's try this another way. Let's take matters into our own hands. Back to our text in verse 3, we see a wedding takes place. Abram marries Hagar. And in verse 4, Hagar conceives a child, and trouble soon arrives. There's trouble, trouble, trouble. Um, there's always going to be trouble, trouble, trouble whenever we take matters into our own hands. And that's what we have. And there's a problem here between Sarai and Hagar. Hagar is carrying Abram's child. I can't imagine the household dynamic at this point. I've been thinking about this all week, and oh, I, I can't imagine the household dynamic that's going on here. Look at verse 4. When Hagar saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. The old King James translation renders it, her mistress was despised in her eyes. Um, ladies, I, I'm okay to say that bearing a child is huge. Am I okay in saying that? Bearing a child is huge. Uh, notwithstanding all of the life changes that are occurring, especially when you're bearing your first child, notwithstanding all of those changes, uh, what about some of the hormonal factors that take place here? Um, it's easy for us to lose sight of all of this. Uh, and getting married is huge. Hagar has just got married. She's carrying a child. Is anyone thinking about Hagar? Are we considering where Hagar is in this? I mean, for starters, it's wrong for Hagar to despise Sarah. I mean, insubordination is, is wrong, but you want to talk about a struggle to find your place here. I mean, I think maybe finding her place was pretty simple prior to this, this idea that Sarai has cooked up. But after this, Okay, where does she fit? Uh, how does she fit in this? Um, well, for starters, Hagar is still Sarai's servant. This is clear. We're going to see this in a few minutes, and it's, it's very clear. But Sarah, Hagar is, is also Abram's wife. A second wife, uh, that's a mess. But a marriage has taken place, and she is his wife, um, She's bearing his child. That child is hers. Um, where's old Abram in this? Um, <laughs> verse 5, there he is. What's happening to Abram? He's getting the riot act from Sarai, boy. Look at that. Look at verse 5. Sarai says, may the wrong done to me be on you. May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. You. Oh, boy. Uh, there's trouble, trouble, trouble here, isn't there? Uh, now, let's wait a second. This whole thing was Sarah's brainstorm. You know, Abram could respond by saying, hey, this was your idea. 
This was all your idea. But really, let's think about it. Where was Abram at when this was all happening? What was he doing? Well, he was just passively going along. We see no record of him seeking the Lord in this. We see no record of him exercising any kind of leadership in it. He's just going right along with it. And what does he end up with? He's got a mess in the nest, man. He has got one big mess in the nest is what he has. And his actions get worse in verse 6. You know, look what he does. Here's how he responds. He says to Sarai, your servant is in your power to do to her as you please. Uh, Abram's passively going along again. He doesn't seek the Lord. He doesn't exercise any kind of leadership here. Quite frankly, what does he do? He throws Hagar under the bus. Um, Throws her right under the bus, and we're told that Sarai begins to treat her very harshly after this. So, um, seeing no way out, what does Hagar do? She flees. Um, Hagar is in the wrong for her mistreatment of Sarai, for sure, but Hagar also has gotten a real bad deal here, I think, um, without question. So, a real injustice has take, taken place. So where's Hagar flee? She flees in the direction of Egypt, and this is significant because she is fleeing away from a righteous household. Sure, we're seeing this household in one of its lowest points, but we've got to hold on to the fact that really, Abram and Sarai are righteous people. This is a righteous household. This is a holy household. And quite frankly, uh, this is really where the church is in the day. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, the church, if, if, I want to, if you want to define the church by the people of God, well, then we have a church here because these are the people of God. And Hagar is fleeing from the people of God heading in the direction of Egypt, which is often emblematic of sin and the world. I think we can make an application here. Hagar has been hurt in the church, and she's running away. She's running away. Has what been has what's been done to her right? No. There's nothing. There's really the only thing right so far is Sarai saying that the Lord has prevented her from having a child. I think that's the only thing right so far. Everything else has been has been wrong. Well, Hagar is fleeing from the church. She's fleeing in the direction of Egypt. And it's here where she is met by the angel of the Lord. And this is no ordinary visitation. If you look at verse 7, in fact, let me back up for a minute. Notice notice the the, uh, language that's used here, the wording. She's met by the angel of the Lord. Uh, Verse 7 doesn't say that she's visited by an angel of the Lord. You see that? I don't want to pass that point up. I almost did, but we don't have time to develop that this morning, but perhaps maybe in a future message we could develop that, namely the identity of the angel of the Lord. Uh, Because we have very good reason to believe that the angel of the Lord is none other than the second person of the Trinity. We have very good reason to believe that. I don't want to flood you with the details of that uh, this morning, but... Uh, let me just say that. This is no ordinary visitation that Hagar has here. Verse 8, uh, 
the Lord says to Hagar, uh, Hagar's servant of Sarai. Uh, there's an important detail there. When the Lord catches up to Hagar, notice how he addresses Hagar. He addresses her as servant um, of, uh, of Sarai. Uh, so in the Lord's eyes, she is still, um, Hagar is still Sarai's servant. It's important for us to hold on to. That, that relationship hasn't changed. And the Lord continues, and he asks Hagar, where have you come from, and where are you going? Now, does the Lord need that information? No. Uh, no. We're going to see that really clearly in a few minutes. He does not need that, that information. So why does he ask? Well, he wants Hagar to think through what she's doing. She is still Sarai's servant. But she's not in Sarai's service at the moment, is she? She's fleeing. Uh, we could say she's been hurt in the church and she's fleeing from the church. And the Lord is really pointing her back. Uh, the Lord says to Hagar, return to your mistress and submit to her. Uh, it's the righteous thing for Hagar to do, isn't it? I can't imagine it's the easy thing for her to do. Uh, this, is, this has got to be tough, actually. Think it through. This, this is not what you'd want to hear, is it? Um, but notice that the Lord doesn't just call Hagar to do what is right. Look what he says. Look what he does in verse 10. He promises her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. She's going to be the mother of a nation. In verse 11, he promises her, you're pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord has listened to your affliction. Um, lots of things could be pointed out. You know, um, Hagar's been to the doctor. They did a sonogram and they couldn't determine the the child's um, gender, well, now the Lord settles that. Um, is it a boy or is it a girl? Well, it's a boy. Rejoice. You're going to have a son. His name's going to be Ishmael. Um, and notice the Lord says that he has listened to her affliction. What does that mean? It means the Lord is aware of all that has been done to Hagar. He's aware of all of it. It means the Lord was there from the start to the finish. It means that all of the tears that she has cried, all of the tears that she has cried, every single tear that she has cried, not one tear has escaped the notice of God. That's what it means. So in short, the Lord saw the whole thing. And Hagar really gets it. If you look at verse 13, Hagar gets it. She calls the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God of seeing. For she said, truly here, I have seen him who looks after me. Now let's think about that for a minute. Truly I, here, I have seen him who looks after me. That's actually what's been missing from the whole story. When we take matters into our own hands, what are, we, what are we really embracing in that moment? We're embracing the fact that the Lord isn't looking after us. And that's, that's something that's, I mean, we've either forgotten it or we've never come to appreciate the fact that the Lord is the one who looks after us. Hagar gets it. She really gets it. And we can ask ourselves this question. Listen, is God looking after you? 
Is he looking after you or isn't he looking after you? You can ask yourself that question. It, the answer that you give to that question will say a whole lot about, uh, about you. Why? Because our lives look radically different. If we believe the Lord is looking after us, our lives look radically different than if we don't believe the Lord is looking after us. There's a huge difference between the two. It's a difference between being a believer and an unbeliever. There's a huge difference between that. Hagar is suffering a significant injustice. How is she to cope with this significant injustice? I really can't imagine that costume of what that would do to a servant. Here, you can have my husband, marry him, you know. I mean, what's your role in this? To have a child so that the boss lady can have her or him as her own. Oh, that's dreadful, isn't it? It's absolutely dreadful. Uh, how is she to cope with this? By leaving it to the God who takes care of her. By embracing that the Lord will look after her. And that's the same thing. The same thing is true of us. I mean, as we suffer violations of any stripe, how are we to cope? We're to hand them over to the God who sees. Hand them over to the God who sees. The Lord is aware of all that's been done to us. The Lord's there from start to finish. He saw everything. And not one, not two, not any of the tears that we have ever cried if you're in Christ Jesus, not one of them has come unnoticed by Almighty God. The psalmist says this in Psalm 56, verse 8. He says, To the Lord you have kept count of my tossings. Put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? What's that mean? It means the Lord's aware of every detail of how you feel. And He's also aware of every detail of what has happened to you. He was there. He saw the whole thing. How comforting is that? We don't have to say, but Lord, you don't understand. It's like, well, yeah, he does. Actually, he does understand. So we find comfort as we suffer violations. We also find comfort as we face tragedies. How are we supposed to face all the circumstances in life that we cannot control? I don't want to make anyone anxious this morning. But you know, your life can change with a single phone call. You know, a couple of families this week, their lives changed with a, with a phone call. You know, a terrible accident taking place with an off-road vehicle. Some of you may have heard. Uh, I won't go into any details, but uh, one, one young man is, is, is gone. And one young woman is uh, paralyzed. How, how are we to cope with that? Uh, how are we supposed to face that? And how do we even face the possibility of this? How do we face it? By faith in the one who looks after us. If that phone should ring this afternoon, you're not alone. The God who looks after you, the God who looks after me, will be with us. Psalm 
1.12, verses 6 to 7, puts it this way. For the righteous will never be moved. He will be remembered forever. Listen to verse 7. He is not afraid of bad news. He is not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. How can he not be afraid of bad news? Because of his, because of his conviction that no matter how bad that news is, no matter how bad that pain is, no matter how bad it is, the Lord looks after me. He will look after me. He will care for me. When we suffer violations, when we, this comforts us. It comforts us when we face tragedies or even the possibility of the tragedy. We, we find comfort when we face false accusations. Sometimes we face false accusations. You know, when we're being accused of things, when we're being slandered, when someone attempts to cut you down or twist your motives or judge your intentions or point out your faults or even what their opinion of your faults are, when you find yourself on the business end of all of that, judging, maybe judging you because you haven't performed up to their particular uh, expectations, the God uh, who sees all was there. I have found and have learned, and I don't have it down completely, but I do have it down a lot better than I used to, not to even defend myself in those positions in those times. I found myself earlier this week uh, in this situation, and I, I didn't even bother defending myself. Why? Well, one of the reasons I've been studying Genesis 16, that's why. Because the Lord looks after me. I, I, you know what? Whatever. The Lord saw the whole thing. The Lord sees everything from start to finish. If you review this in your mind and you see that you're culpable in some sense, then go to God and, and, and say, Lord, you know, here I've sinned against you in this matter. The whole thing that they're saying is, is just slander. But yeah, there is this. There is this issue where, yeah, okay, I'm wrong. And, and John, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's a great verse to have memorized for that moment. Lord, I confess this. of Any sin of omission or sin of commission that I might have committed in that hour or in that time, Lord, I lift to You. But in terms of defending yourself, I mean, unless you're facing, you know, not facing any criminal charges here. We won't want to defend ourselves if that's the case. But if it's somebody just slandering you and just trying to slam you, listen, the Lord saw the whole thing. You know, it allows a lot of anxiety just to, just to rest. The Lord who looks after us has seen the whole thing. So let me close with one final observation. No one in our passage is looking very good. But the point of the passage is not to slam Abram, Sarai, or even Hagar for that matter. That's not the Lord's way. The point of the passage is to show that the Lord watches over His children. I think that's the point of the passage. The Lord watches over His children. But I want to leave you with this last thought, is that He looks after us even when He finds us at our worst. And that's wonderful news. He looks after us even when He finds us 
at our worst. If you think about it, when did he find us at our worst? When we were sinning and rebelling against him and trotting all over the Son of God. The one who died in our place that we might have life. That's when Jesus knocks on the door and the Holy Spirit opens our hearts. And we're his enemies at that point in time. And by his grace, takes us into his household, takes us into the family of God, and gives us all of the privileges of sons and daughters of God in Christ Jesus. And from that point on, the Lord is always looking after us. It's a comfort to us when we're suffering violations. It's a comfort to us whenever we're facing tragedy. It's a comfort to us when we're facing slander. There's all kinds of other things we could say this is a comfort to us. I, I just, they say you should have three, so I thought I should have three. Three's good. You're right, a sermon. I got three things. There's three things. Uh, all kidding aside, I think the most significant thing here is he looks after us even when we're at our worst. We need to know that because when we're at our worst, that's when we're tempted to think he's through with us. You got Genesis 16 to see that's not the case. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, and praise you, Father, for Genesis 16. Uh, a story that seems bizarre to us and strange to us at the start uh, becomes... Uh, Really, a, a, a really wonderful picture of your care, your tender, loving care uh, as a father. And uh, Lord, uh, we so thank you uh, that, uh, Father, you look after us uh, even when we're at our worst. So, Father, we thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.